But we always start with a proverb today, Proverb 12, because today's the 12th. I chose 28. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Good one. So we've been studying Paul, and, um, you know, you just look at the story of this man's life, and I think, you know, how did he get through five whippings? Beaten with rods, he was stoned. How did he get through all of that and not turn his back on God? <laughs> I mean, really, we see him as this amazing man, and we know he was God's man. But in those moments, and time after time and time after time, especially given what he was doing when that, all that stuff was going on, how come he didn't just say, you know? And I think, I think sometimes we can have a tendency to uh, look around and we kind of do this calculation in our, our heart that says, you know, here I am, one of God's kids. I'm doing the stuff that I think I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying to please God. And why do I have to hack my way through life with a machete? You know, blackberries, no matter when I whack them, they still bite me in the legs as I walk past. And, um, you know, and I look around and I see other people and many of them have nothing to do with God. They seem like they act like they're God's enemy. And, you know, they don't seem to suffer the way that I do. And, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them through life. They don't have the Word of God. They don't have the fellowship of people. You know, why do I keep pouring all my effort into this? Why do I keep allowing my heart to go out there? Why, why do I keep going back to the same job? I do this continuing education. I further myself and, you know... And, and, and they don't appreciate me there, and life is difficult, and why am I trying all this stuff? You know, why? Why? And I want my life to honor God, and, and, um, and I just don't get why he allows this suffering to go on. Now, I'll bet you, you have thought that at some level, at some time, so well, let's, let's start with prayer. God, <laughs> I just pray that today you will be glorified in every heart and in every seat in this place, Lord, in every life. And Lord, for people who came to church today with weight upon them, things weighing them down, God, would, would, would they somehow find their way to cast their cares upon you today? May they lay their, their burdens before you, O oh God. May they put down the things that they cannot carry and draw close to the one who can. Be for us, Lord, what we cannot be for ourselves. And we ask God for you to be bigger in our circumstances and in those situations than we could ever be on our own. And Lord, as, as, that, as that happens in our lives, Lord, let people who see um, that going on in us only be aware of your glory in us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about the fact that God is bigger than your suffering. God is bigger than your suffering. And we've been studying Paul. And, um, you know, I, I look at his life and I'm thinking, I would not like to live his life. I, I, I don't think so. If, if, you, if you ever think about your own life and you think about the things that you face, I mean, my life is hard and I've got these things going on. <laughs> you know, when we look at his life, the Apostle Paul, I'm so glad that we'll, we're going to see here that God is bigger than our suffering. And so we've been in 2 Corinthians and... Um, we kind of left off the last time we were in about chapter 11-ish, and um, I don't normally teach word, through, word for word through passages, but I've been doing that some in this series, and, um, and, and, and we see where we left off. He's having a pretty tough go, and, um, and here's the thing. It's, I think sometimes God's children seem, seem to suffer the most. I mean, that's kind of sometimes our viewpoint. We look at, at, at what's going on in our life, and we see the things that are within our eyesight up close. And the reason that I, I think that it seems that way is because we see better things that are closer to us. So, you know, sometimes it does seem as though God's children, as though God's servants seem to suffer the most. So the context here for Paul is in chapter 11 is he, he's being attacked. The Corinthians, the church, you know, the church in Corinth, they're kind of being problem children. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're being difficult, they're being carnal, they're divisive, they're being petty. And this is kind of dragging Paul's heart down. You know, he's, and, he, and he finds himself in this place where he reluctantly has to defend himself. Okay, so he's kind of the good guy here. And there's these people that come to town or that show up, and he calls them super apostles. Um, not like Superman, but 
it was more sarcasm. So, so he's, he's, you know, they show up and they start luring people out of the church that he's planted there. And um, um, so we're going to pick this up in um, 11 verse 1. I wish, he's talking to the, the church in, in Corinth. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So what's going on here is already a little bit crazy. People have been comparing themselves to the Apostle Paul. These super apostles have been coming in. You know, and, and, and so what happens is, you know, Paul had planted the church, and after he moved on to the next city, some new people come in and said, oh, Paul, he's not that big a deal. He's not so special. You know, they're kind of cutting. And, and it forces him to defend, defend himself, and it's kind of like, okay, all right, you want to compare? This is stupid, but if you want to compare, you know, it's a foolish thing to do. Okay, let's do that. And so here we go. Um, he says, you want to bear with a little foolishness? Do bear with me, verse 2, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. So here you can see an example of jealousy being described. Jealousy isn't always wrong, okay? You realize that some jealousy, if you're a parent, you're jealous for your children's righteousness. You're jealous for their, I mean, God is obviously, sometimes God is, he is described himself as being a, a jealous God. God doesn't sin. I mean, we think of jealousy as resenting someone who has something that we don't have. But that's not only, um, after all, God owns righteously everything. He's, he's a jealous God, and, and it's right for him to want glory that belongs to him. And anyway, so he says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband, of course, he's referring to Christ, to present you as a pure virgin to, to Christ. But I am afraid that as, a serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's basically saying to us, church, that you are all, we are all just as susceptible to being deceived as Eve was. And it's going on today. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, it, 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 to, be, to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's talking to these people. Verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Wow. He's saying to these people, you know, you're, you're kind of gullible. You know, you're kind of naive. I mean, I would hate the thought. This is Terry speaking. I would hate the thought of investing, you know, significant portion of my life pastoring in a place like this where I love you and I preach the word of God and if something happened, if a meteorite knocks me out tomorrow, that next week somebody could get up here and preach from the Koran and some of us would be okay with that. That would, that's terrible. He's basically saying, you people, you're being gullible. He's, he's really challenging them. And so what he's saying, verse 4, is, you put up with it readily enough. Wow. Verse 5, indeed, I considered that I am not the least inferior to these, I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He's saying, on my worst day, I'm better than them on their best day. <laughs> That's what he's saying there. And he's, there's some obvious some sarcasm going on. Even if I am unskilled in speaking. So apparently they were also questioning his speaking ability. I mean, that's interesting to me because elsewhere um, in Scripture, Paul says, you know, I didn't come to you with cleverness of speech. I didn't come to you with eloquence, you know, of words. So he understands something about preaching God's word. And that's this. It, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. I get that. That it's not about, there's, it's not about a person. It's about the message. It's the word of God that makes a difference in people's lives. That's why we honor the word of God here first. And we don't ever present any person other than the person Jesus Christ. And we present God's word. So, so he gets that. He moves on. I'm not so, uh, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? Now, some places Paul had gone and he received an offering. But in Corinth, the people there were so immature that he didn't want to burden them with it, so he paid for it. He covered the cost of his ministry another way because they, were, he, they just couldn't handle the, the weight of that. So false teaching is a problem. His preaching is a problem. Money is a problem. Verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you, 
and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in, this, in, in, in any way. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why not? Why? He's, he's saying, why am I done all this? <laughs> am I doing all this stuff? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. He says, God knows I love you. Why am I putting up with all this? Verse, verse 12. And what I am doing, he's saying, what I'm doing, my life here is going to be the statement. I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. <laughs> he's laying it down here. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end, which is in whole, okay, that's worth underlining in your Bible. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And that topic of, you know, the end, little side topic there is, you know, that's one of our problems. We're not willing to wait for the end sometimes. Scripture says, you know, um, it says, uh, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, he'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The problem for us is, is we don't always, we, we want to form conclusions too fast. We don't always want to wait for the end. So, okay, just a quick straw poll. How are things going for Paul in the church in Corinth on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being great, 1 being terrible pretty bad, right? Things are not good. Okay, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm trying to show you people something here, you know. If it sounds ridiculous that I would, you know, have to stand up here after having started this church and tell you everything I did for you when I came to Corinth, if it seems a little ridiculous that, that I have to run down for you the details of all this stuff, if it seems as though I would have, don't judge me, you know, harshly for sounding a little boastful here or foolish, because apparently you got to be reminded, okay? So, so what I'm saying I'm not saying with the Lord's authority. Okay, keep going, Terry. But as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. <laughs> oh, man. He says, you let foolish people talk to you all the time. Maybe the only way I can get through to you is to talk a little foolishness, because that seems to be what you understand. Wow, there is some straight talk going on here in this whole thing. I mean, if you have a perspective that God will only show up with flowers and peace and love, man. Party on. <laughs> there is that aspect of God who loves peace. But there are times when God will get in your grill and say, hey, 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 Terry. Terry, wake up. You're being a fool, Terry. I've heard those words. Don't nod so quickly, Eric. <laughs> I mean, it's, okay. Verse 20, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you. And now this is great. We're walking into great territory here. Good reminders for any church everywhere, including us. Let's not be like that. Let's not just bear with it if somebody makes slaves of us. I mean, I mean, if, if you, you should never, ever, 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 ever feel used at church where somebody wants you to serve in some way only because of what they can extract from you and there's no love of you love combined with it somehow. Don't become a slave like that. Don't let it happen here. Don't be a participant in here or anywhere. Okay, anyway, so, um, or puts on airs. He's talking about problems in the church. Putting on airs, like, it's like putting on airs. What does that mean? It's like, well, hey, don't you know who I am? I'm thinking of Ron Burgundy here, you know. I'm kind of a big deal. I have many leather-bound volumes, and my office smells of rich mahogany. Did I get that right? <laughs> close? Was it close? I'm going to get credit style points, though, right, Aaron? Okay. I mean, you know, I, if 
somebody needs to be called bishop or, you know, if, if you're going to call me something and I can pick my title, I want to be known as the supreme astronaut. I don't need, okay? That's my title. That's the one I choose. And I've been, <laughs> I've been stuck right there. Okay, so, so he says, you know, don't let somebody take advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes, this is getting serious, or strikes you in the face. Okay, somewhere in this church, things have crossed over. This is cultish behavior. It's like, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's awful. It's abusive. Verse 21, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. And now he's questioning his, his own leadership, that the people that he had led before were so vulnerable, I think, to all this after he left. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. So here he now goes off <laughs> into this list of boastings. And um, the reason that we've taken time for all of this context is because um, I want us to see, loved ones, how much this guy suffered. Okay, we're going to see this in context. And I, I want to suggest to you um, that if your life really is hard, and I know for many of us it is, I know probably for all of us at some point it gets really hard, um, consider his list here too, okay? Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> I'm a better Christian than you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> remember, okay, remember he's saying, I'm speaking as a fool here. You put me in a position of talking like this. He says, I'm more mature. I'm, I'm a better. I am talking like a madman. I'm talking like, I'm talking like a madman. Nobody talks like this. This is never how God would want us. And here, look at this conversation. He's going kind of nuts here. He says, you know, God, you know, with far greater labors, do you know how hard I work? He's pointing that out to them. Far more imprisonments. Hey, you been in prison for Jesus yet? I mean, with countless beatings, countless beatings. I've lost track. I can't even count anymore how many times I've been beaten and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one because that was mercy. You would be sentenced to 40 lashes, but they would, they would stop at 39 to be merciful. Wow. Five times. Five times whipped with 39 lashes. <laughs> this guy was... Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness... Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Yikes. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And I've, <laughs> I've, I feel like sometimes I've gone through a lot for the, for the Lord until I read this passage. And, and I don't think anybody has suffered for Jesus like this. I mean, right? We're already looking at this going, you know, well, I, I, when we started talking about suffering today, I had my little list on my note card, Terry, but I'm kind of going to stick that back in here now. We don't need to look at that anymore. It's like he goes on, and, um, and this part, I mean, some more stuff that's relevant, especially, I, I get it. Verse 28, and apart from the other things, he's saying there's more stuff. I'm not even going to stop now because there's even more stuff. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I get that. He's talking about the weight of the people and their pressures and their problems, you know, the church and all that. 29, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, and he tells a story about having been let, let down on a basket because people were pursuing him. Here's the thing. You know, God's children seem to suffer the most. There is some scripture that talks about that. Second Timothy 3 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Man, and you can study that, that passage if you want to. If you look up that word all, it means all. And if you look up that word will, it means will. It doesn't mean may, it doesn't mean might. And the thing is that you will never get to a place in your life that you get things so right and so perfect that you don't suffer for righteousness. There is no such thing. 
People who think that they're getting life right because nobody's upset with you, you know, nobody's upset with me, that's not necessarily good news for you. It's not. I mean, it's, that might be because you are hiding the gospel under a bushel basket. Or maybe you are not holding out for people the hope of Christ, the word of life, like you could or maybe that you should. You know, if you're, if you're living the life that God has called you to live, some people are going to adore you for it, and you've got to settle them down. Hey, calm down. I'm just trying to be righteous here. And some people are going to despise you for your stance of righteousness. And if you're not experiencing both of those things in your life, you probably need to turn the volume up a bit. Scripture uh, says in Hebrews 12, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And and, and when that's going on, that is the point when many people mistakenly give up on God. They just say, hey, this is not part of the deal I signed up for. And we, we, we say to ourselves, how can a loving God allow suffering to go on in the, in the world? And then we blame God for something he didn't do, and we fail to see some basic underlying truths. And I'll give, give them to you two quick truths. One is that you know, there are some good things that cannot grow within our hearts until after our heart gets broken. Why is that true, Terry? Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And there are some things that the soil has to be broken up and loosened in before good things can grow there. And, um, and that's never fun. God loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. He just does. And the second truth that gets overlooked is, you know, it just seems sometimes impossible that God would even use suffering to build something good within, good, good within us. But Romans, uh, Romans tells us, favorite verse for many Christians, Romans 8, for all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. To those who love God and are called according to his we love to stop at the all things work together for good. It's like we're preaching karma. You know? that is, this is not preaching gar- karma. This is preaching that for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes, God will use everything you face in life, good and bad, to somehow turn it into blessing for you. Because that's God's heart. God will take what... He he doesn't cause things... I'm getting ahead of myself. He doesn't cause these negative, these terrible, hard things in your life, but he's going to somehow use them to bless you. So if you want God to show up big in your suffering... You got to stop thinking somewhere in your heart that God is not supposed to allow that in your life. You got to understand that God is sovereign and he can actually use things that are challenging and difficult to produce fruit. Instead of abandoning us when we feel like these challenges, we got to understand God is moving closer to us. And the reason why we think that God is far from us when we're suffering is because we just really don't have a proper theology of how God uses suffering in our lives. And if we overlook, you know, I mean, it's, if we understand better what he does, you know, we wouldn't think that he's absent just because things are hard when he's actually very, 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 very present in our lives. And pastors love to quote this guy. I, I love to quote this guy. There's a guy named A.W. Tozier, great theologian, and just, you know, he's gone now, but just great insights. And he had this, he wrote this book called The Root of Righteousness, and in there he says, it's doubtful that God can bless, or in some, some people have quoted his use, it's doubtful that God can bless a man or a woman greatly until he has wounded them deeply. Sounds like God's inflicting wound. No, but God allows something to go on, and it's doubtful that God can use you greatly or bless you greatly until he's allowed some things to, to, to get into that heart there and soften the soil. Here's a little short passage out of that book. I'm, I don't like to normally quote books, but I want to quote one to you, I quote a little passage out of that book. The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost, let me start that over again. The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost is not often found among us. We expect to enter the everlasting kingdom of our Father and to sit down around the table with sages, saints, and martyrs through the grace of God, and maybe we shall, yes, maybe we shall. 
But for the most of us, it could prove at first an embarrassing experience. Ours might be the silence of the untried soldier in the presence of battle-hardened heroes who have fought the fight and won the victory, who have the scars to prove that they were present when the battle was being fought. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want God to show up bigger than your suffering, you have to have a theology that embraces the fact that God can use suffering positively in the life of a Christian. I mean, after all, Paul was God's main guy. And look what he faced. He was the most prolific and successful missionary the world has ever known. And look what he went through. He was beaten, scourged, rejected. He was hassled. He was harmed. He was shipwrecked. His boat wouldn't even work. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't know how you feel about hymns. I think they're kind of fun. We, we dipped into the history today for a song that just blessed me. Man, I grew up on I Love You, Lord. I... My, I've forgotten the song, but my genes knew the song. It's great. Um, but anyway, so, the, so there are some hymns that do a terrific job of, of, of teaching concepts. And there's, a, there's one called, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? by a guy named Isaac Watts. Let me read the, the lyrics to it. I'm a, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others, others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. Endure the pain. Supported by your word. Yeah. God's children sometimes seem to suffer the most. You know, and we have the questions. Why? Why suffering? What's this for? How does this help me? Well, there's a couple of things as we read on here. We're going to see how um, they shaped and helped Paul. The first one we're going to see is that suffering mitigates pride. It, it, current pride, potential pride. Suffering mitigates pride. 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us that it says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. What does that mean? And, and the reason that that's, you know, that's why... Absolute truth in the hands of absolute sinners can be absolutely brutal. Think about that. Absolute truth in the hands of absolute sinners can be absolutely brutal. doesn't need to be. Sometimes the most brutal people are Christians with the word of God. It can be harsh, hard, without, you know, without meaning to be that. You know, maybe you can... Flash back to some moment where maybe that was you, or you know, you know. I know a lot about the Bible. I, I, I know what it says. I know the gospel. I know the plan of salvation. How many people, where you work, know less about that than you do? And maybe you'll hear a conversation sometimes, and this in your mind you'll think they, they just don't get it. They don't understand God. And it's probably true, but the question to ask is, is your attitude right? Because is your handling of the word of God puffing up your heart, or is it translating to some form of love that cares and wants to build other people up? That's where knowledge puffs up. God, you know, what God has given us, the, the, what we possess, this, this wonderful gift, God's word, you know, it, it comes coupled with this awesome responsibility. So when we allow our hearts to become puffed up, instead of building other people, suffering mitigates that. It does. You know. So listen, while we're talking about suffering, it's real easy to see it in other people too. And I just want to encourage you, church, don't let your heart get to the place where you would ever look at somebody else's suffering and start making some sort of assessments, some, some sort of judgments Assigning some sort of blame, saying, "Yeah, they reaped what they sowed," you know, um, and, and, and and don't ever get there. Doing that with your heart is like this: getting some red paint, putting a big dot right here, and then another big circle, and another big one, and going, "Okay, God, see if you can hit it." He can. I just encourage you: don't ever get to the place where you look at somebody else's suffering and start making judgments about them because of it. You have no idea. You have no idea what's going on there. Some of the suffering I've had in my life was my own steps put me there by my own choice. 
a lot of the suffering in my life was there because a messenger of Satan said it. It wasn't my doing. Don't judge me when I'm suffering. Love me. Do that. Paul was really careful not to go there. And so look what happens in his life. Um, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, <laughs> I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it. <laughs> really, Paul? More? He says, I, he says, I'm still talking like a man. Okay, I will go on now to visions and revelations of the Lord. So I'm going to boast about some more stuff. Okay. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. Don't get lost on this issue of the third heaven. This is referencing heaven like you and I would think of heaven. Um, okay, so I don't want to go down that trail for today. But he's talking about himself. Bible scholars are all in agreement. He's describing an experience he had, and he's trying to be modest here. So he's reaching back to this experience from 14 years ago, and which we know to be authentic to his life. Verse 2 again. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. I love that passage. I don't know. God knows. <laughs> you can underline that. I mean, what a great thing to learn to say as a parent. I don't know. Or as a spouse or as a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> or as a Christian. I don't know. I don't know. And Paul says, I'm not too sure about what happened or how, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Wow. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, when are we going to find out what he heard? Were you listening? They can't be told. They can't be uttered. How did Paul go through all those whippings, those beatings, those, you know, all that stuff? How did he go through all those things and not turn his back on God? <laughs> well, because he got taken up to heaven and he saw something. What did he see? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. God told him some wonderful something. What was it? I don't know. But it helped him. So what's going on here? You know, Paul... Paul's conducting his, his heart in this conversation and um, you know, his, his past suffering has prevented his heart from getting puffed up. And, you know, and, and instead he's trying to build other people up with love. Verse 4, and he heard things that cannot be told which man, man may not utter. Verse 5, on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. You got problems. I got some short, shortcomings. I got some faults. If you're, if you're listening, you know i got some weaknesses. Verse 6, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. He says, I could tell you a lot more stuff. i got a lot more to tell you here. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of all that past suffering, Paul absolutely refuses to let his heart become puffed up just because he knows stuff. You know, and he knows so much. You know, how do you get taken up to heaven? Anybody here? Okay, don't tell me yes. I wouldn't believe you probably anyway. But, you know, and by the way, I, every once in a while, somebody will say to me, hey, what do you think about these books or that movie or these movies about people going to heaven? I don't know. I'm trying to learn to not have opinions about things that I don't need to have an opinion about. I don't know. And I'm, listen, I don't typically avoid confrontation. Okay, I'm not, it's not, it's not that I, I don't think it's because I'm mousy. I just don't know. I don't have to know, so, okay. You know, here's <laughs> some things I think I do know about me. If I'd experienced some of these really powerful things that Paul had experienced, I think it would have been really, really difficult for me not to become inflated and puffed up and, you know, arrogant and prideful and boastful. I mean, hey, I went to heaven. You know, <laughs> you're in a conversation. Hey, you going to go to heaven? Well, I think so. Yeah, well, I've already been there, done that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. So, so <laughs> I don't know. What, okay, so, so you know, suffering is, you know, something that God allows to happen with his children. It's in the life of every Christian because it mitigates pride. I mean, here's, here's how it kind of shows up. Seasonal suffering, the word of God calls a trial. Okay, it calls it a trial. James chapter 1 talks about that. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Here's teaching about trials. A trial is a temporary, painful circumstance allowed by God to transform our conduct and our character. You know, Job knew about trials, right? Here's what he said in chapter 23. But he knows, he's speaking of God, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Man, that's faith. Trials are temporary. They're just for a season. They're for a while. They're temporary. They're just temporary. So seasonal suffering, the word calls a a, a trial. Lasting suffering you know, um, it's called a thorn. We see it called a thorn here. Uh, Verse 7, here's Paul talking. And so to keep me from being conceited or puffed up or arrogant, (laughs) let me just say, um, if if I had been on the committee to keep him from being puffed up, I think that the stonings and the beatings (laughs) would have been enough, okay? (laughs) But it's not a committee decision here. Who makes this decision? God, right? It's a sovereign choice, and he knows our hearts. We don't even know our hearts. God knows our hearts. In fact, here's what it's going to take to get that field completely softened up, Terry. And I'm picturing this big wheat field or something where God has to use a combine and lots of discs, that, <laughs> whatever. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> it's not a committee decision. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Wow. The surpassing greatness of the things that the Lord has shown you about his love for you, about his love for people. Because of the surpassing, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. You know, you ever had a thorn or a sliver? It's like, you know, it's so small, you can't even see it. And you know it's there because it's throbbing. And if you forget it for a little while, as soon as you grab out and reach a doorknob or something and you touch it again, it says, hey, remember I'm here. It says, you know, it's like you're just this painful reminder, this foreign object that's got like, it's drilling. There's a nerve. Did you feel that one, Terry? Ha-ha! <laughs> gotcha. I mean, it's like a little, okay. That's painful. And it hurts like crazy. And here's the thing. The pain is way disproportionate to the size, right? On the scale of size to aggravation ratio, this thing is off the scale. You can't even see them sometimes. I mean, I had a sliver this week. Lisa had to stop at a Walgreens store. I said, I, I, need, I need tweezers, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a crater. I need bacitrace, and I need, because this is going to be a mess. And I couldn't even see it with reading glasses. You can't see them, but the pain is, compared to the size, is crazy. And it's interesting called, being called a thorn. You know, I, I see the word of God. I don't think this is just some word that, that Paul used. I believe this is written under the inspiration of God. I believe the Bible is inerrant, and there are reasons for the words that get chosen there. A thorn is the description that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul. It's this painful, dominant, sharp thing, this disproportionate in size. Maybe you think it isn't that big a deal when you look at the thorn in somebody else's life, but in that person's life, it's, off, it's just terrible. Immense irritation. And there's been a lot of ink spilled you know, by common commentators about what was Paul's thorn. I mean, here's a short list. A guy named Tertullian said headaches. Ramsey said epilepsy. Luther said demonic oppression. Augustine said his adversaries in Corinth, these super apostles. I mean, other things. Eye problems, a character flaw, hysteria, besetting sins, sins that he just can't shake, um, sexual attempt. The list, the list goes on. Here, this will help you. We don't know. We don't know. Now, that's a rabbit trail begging to be going. I'm just going to take a step over to a little tiny rabbit trail here about why we don't know that um, and about God's word. 
Second Peter 1 tells us, says this, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God is never looking from heaven down at his word and saying, you know, you know the thing that we forgot to put in there? We should have said, that is not happening. God is very, very, very happy with his word the way it is. He doesn't need another revelation of Jesus Christ. He doesn't. He doesn't need... It's helpful to be taught things, but it doesn't need the latest Bible study to make his word be more complete. It's good for, I've heard all the, you know, leaders are readers, and I think those things are good. There's a lot of helpful, but the word of God does not need anything to be added to it to make it perfect. Matthew, in Jesus' words, uh, recorded by Matthew, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus basically said, there is not even an extra, we don't have to take out a single punctuation mark, a jot or a tittle. It's, it's, it's fine. On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, God's word is perfect. It's perfect. And because it's perfect, if it's perfect, because it's perfect, amen? Amen? You know, then it should affect the way we think about things. It should affect our theology. And here's the thing, an awful lot of controversy surrounds things that aren't even discussed in the Bible. And God even talks about that tendency in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, learn not to exceed what is written. Check that out. You can study that out if you want to. But, you know, God's word is enough. It's just enough. And here's the thing. I think that the reason we're not told what the thorn is is because if it's not specified... We, everybody can get on board. Every one of us can get on board, you know, because maybe it's like my thorn, you know, and it's my, like my thing. There's all kinds of possible thorns. Here's just a quick list of things that maybe, you know, maybe chronic health could be your thorn. And it doesn't have to just be physical because it's called, you know, a messenger. It could, could be emotional, spiritual, physical. You know, it could be some terrible, deep pain in your past, you know, um, where you, you think to yourself, I was used, I was abused, it was treated something, and, and it hurts every time this comes up. It could be some dark personal failure in your life, you know, which should produce grace in your life, but instead it produces shame and pain. You know, I stole from my family. I had an abortion. I, I was an addict. addict. I, I, I was in prison. And, or, or maybe it's like this terrible difficulty in providing for your family. And, you know, you, you really don't like where you go all week long. And, you know, you're thankful that you have a job, but you hate what you do and it provides for your family. Or maybe it's an emotional condition, you know. Why don't I get over things like other people do? Why can't I just let things go? Why can't I just forgive and move on? Why do I get so down? Verse 7, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So what we see here is something being allowed by God, but being sent by Satan. You get that. God allowed it, but it comes from Satan. comes from hell. Does that actually happen? Yeah. Yeah, demons cause all kinds of things we see in Scripture. Matthew 9, a demon caused a man to be mute. Um, Matthew 12, caused a man to be blind. Matthew 17, caused a man with seizures. The book of Job is pretty um, forthright about all the heartaches that God allowed, but it was brought by, by the devil. Satan accomplished those things. And this word, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. That word buffet, um, lots of translations give it differently. NIV says torment. Other, other translations say beat me, get, get me down, make me suffer terribly, harass me. It literally means to strike with the fist, to buffet me. It's painful, it bumps and bruises, but it's not lethal. And Satan's goal is to torment and harass us, but God's goal is to get our heart continuously and over a time to a place of tenderness and love. Two completely different goals. You know, if God didn't plan to make something good out of it, he would never have allowed it. 
and you know, I'll give you a little little glimpse into Terry. You know, um, I, I don't really battle with the self-importance kind of pride. I battle with the self-sufficiency kind of pride. You get the difference. It's not like you know, I, I, I it's not. I'm better than that. It's I can do that on my own. That's pride. It's pride, and you know, and I, I can think of the ways in my past that I that I've seen the Lord graciously <laughs> chisel, blast, sand, and polish on that issue of pride in my life, and I, it's taken me to places in my heart that I, I never knew existed at times, and they hurt, and I don't feel like God doesn't love me because they hurt me. In fact, I wouldn't allow them, I would not want them to be subtracted from my life experience because they did things in my heart that would have never happened any other way. And I wish I could tell you when those things were going on that I had jumped to my knees. But I didn't always. There were times that I needed God's hand on my shoulder going, Terry, you're going to get down there. I should have gone willingly. And, you know, if you, I'm not judging a single person here. If you look at yourself and you think, you know, your pride issue here is self-importance, you know, whatever kind of pride that you, that you struggle with, Daniel <laughs> talked about in the very last verse in chapter 4, those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. God can handle that. <laughs> the Trinity is not in heaven going, oh, man, Terry is such a strong will. He's got a, he's got a strong personality. What are we going to do? No, no, no. God can handle it. <laughs> and here's the thing. God's not excited about hammering you. He's excited about your future. You can look it up in Jeremiah. He'll tell you the way God thinks about you, not about your destruction, not about calamity, about a future and a hope. The things he'd planned for you, and, and, and he wants to teach you to be more dependent upon him. Paul's going, really, God? So, so verses 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should leave me. He's talking to God. Come on, God, my thorn. Three times. You know, hey, do we have to do this? It's me again. Remember me, God? I know I asked you this before, but I just got to ask this again. You know, do we have to do it this way? And catch here what God's answer was not. It's really significant. He he says, he did not say, oh, come on, Paul, you can do this. Buck up. Come on, Paul. That's not what his answer was. God's answer was not, you can. God's answer was, you can't, but I can, and I'm going to. I will. That's a significantly different answer. He says, and Paul's going, I can't do this. And God's saying, correct. <laughs> you get it. I can, I'm going to. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Awesome. Awesome. Grace, this unmerited, this is so awesome. I'm, I'm having an awesome, happy dance right now. Man, it's awesome. And, you know, and there's other places Paul talks about missing grace. You know, I'm astonished that you're so soon turning away, turning away from grace at Galatians 1. Hebrews, Hebrews 12, make sure that no one falls short of grace. 2 Timothy, be strong in the grace. He talks about grace. You know, loved one, if you have a thorn, if you have something, and it's probably not going to go away. But God is offering grace. He's offering grace. <laughs> you know, and I, I've, at times I've prayed about things that I thought were thorns, you know, in my life, and they went away. I thought, yeah, wahoo. And I realized that was not a thorn. That was a trial. Glad to be done with the trial, you know. A, a temporary thing sent, you know, God was allowing it to conduct, you know, transform my conduct. Now, I have a better handle on what I think my thorn is, and I'm not telling you, okay? I don't think you need to know. But they last. Your thorn is a thing that lasts, and it's just not going to go away. God's going to teach you to live with it. And he's going to amplify his glory, his glory, through you. And here's, here's the thing, important thing for us to catch on this. 
you're not going to make it through your trial. You're not going to make it through your, your thorn, your thing that lasts without grace. Why are so many Christians bitter? You know, because they somehow fell short of grace. Why, why are so many Christians get harsh? How do they get there? Because God has them under the weight of his hand and they just will not bow. They just will not kneel down and humble themselves. And, 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 and so God presses a little bit firmer and a little harder. That's been me. And then this, there's a description of this in Hebrew. So there's this dislocation that takes place and a root of bitterness springs up and many people get defiled and hurt by it. You know, bitter Christians who won't humble themselves under the, the hand of God do more damage in a family and in a church than any other people. You know, what's her problem? Oh, she's bitter, she's harsh, he's, he's, he's harsh, he's unforgiving. He's striking out at other people because he won't look in a mirror and deal with what God wants him to deal with. God, help us, Lord. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, my power is made perfect. And here's the cool thing about that. That perfect means completely finished perfect. In fact, translate the root word down there. It's the same word that Jesus said on the cross. It's finished. My power is finished in your weaknesses. It accomplishes everything. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's saying, okay, this isn't going away. Let's go. You know, no more fighting, no more wrestling, no more resistance. Let's go, God. Let's, let's do this. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. By the way, the word order there is sufficient for you is the grace of me. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. Sufficient for you is the grace of me. Jesus is the grace. Jesus is the grace. He's a person. The last comment and we'll pray is be content in your thorn. You know, be content to experience the purpose and God's grace. Okay. He says, I'm content with my weakness, with my insults, with this, these hardships, with these persecutions, with these calamities, because when I'm weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how powerfully you showed up in Paul's life. And we've been talking about this for weeks now. You're bigger than his sin and his blindness and his disappointments and the people problems. God, you're even bigger than my suffering. You are. And I confess, Lord, that sometimes my suffering seems bigger than you. I'm sorry about that, God. And I know it helps to have more time in your word and more time in fellowship and prayer and worship and all that. And I want to worship the awesome splendor, Lord, of who you are. Because you are grace. So, Lord, we just draw down on the grace of God, Jesus. It's enough. And when I embrace it, Lord, and when I experience it, when I enjoy it, it's, it's enough. And it can be enough for me again. Lord, help me, strengthen me, fill me with your grace, and let it be enough for me. In Jesus' name. Church, would you stand and sing with us? Sing the rock. Oh, the 